This is a special edition of the RTI Press Pass powered by Rocky Top Insider. Here are your hosts, Jack Foster and Ryan Schumper. Hello, everybody, and welcome back into the Rocky Top Insider Baseball Podcast here on the Press Pass feed. I'm your host, Jack Foster, joined alongside Ryan Shepard on this fantastic Thursday afternoon in Knoxville, February 22nd. Last time we came to you guys, Tennessee baseball hadn't played a game. In fact, we were a week out from opening night when Tennessee baseball began their season against Texas Tech in Arlington as part of the Shriners College, Shriners Children's College Showdown. And I finally got it down pat. Um, but Tennessee has played a total of five games since then. They went 2-1 and one in Arlington against Texas Tech, Baylor, and Oklahoma, having lost to Baylor. And then they swept their pair of midweek games against UNC Asheville and ETSU. So a lot to get to today. But first, Ryan, how we doing, buddy? How's the start of the season treated you? Start of the season treated me well. Been a little bit easier on me since you were uh, over in Arlington doing a great job holding down all the coverage, but got to... Watched the two wins in Tennessee's game. Didn't get to watch much of that Oklahoma game with Tennessee basketball, you know, playing at a similar time. And then obviously was over at Lindsey Nelson Stadium this week for two midweeks and uh, should be there for almost every game in this, what, it's like a 14 or 15 game homestand uh, currently before SEC play starts. Yeah, it was either 15 or 17 to start on Tuesday. So it's either 13 or 15 now. Now, I can't really remember what it is, but got an Albany series, Bowling Green series, Illinois series coming up and of course some midweek sprinkled in Kansas State midweek which should be a good one yeah and that's when it's a double midweek I think Kansas State and then another I think in two weeks two weeks yeah next week it's just one midweek and then it's two and then it's one there you have it so uh, a lot of games being played at the newly renovated Lindsey Nelson Stadium coming up looks pretty cool there on the left field yeah it does I hadn't gone to uh, you know any preseason availabilities that were in the in the stadium so it was new for me seeing that Tuesday but yeah it's uh it's crazy to see how much it's grown since 2021. And the saying goes, build it and they'll come, right? Tony Vitale has built this program. The attendance is skyrocketing, and the renovations have, you know, really taken off under athletic director Danny White. So it's yeah. just wild to see. Yeah, and they, I mean, I think give a ton of – Not this is very more bare minimum, but like a lot of – a credit to the construction workers, too. Like, I mean, just being over there for the pizza series the weekend before, you know, eight, nine days, I guess, before the uh, home opener. And it was, you know, not all, I mean, it, obviously they had all the concrete poured and all that good stuff, but, like, they needed to put a lot. There was still a lot to do. Uh, and I'm sure they lost a ton of time with the week-and-a-half snowpocalypse we had in the middle of January. So, uh, it, but it does. It, it looks awesome. And, obviously, it'll be fun as they continue to kind of, get the final details of this round of construction done here early in the season. And then obviously another next, next off season will be another uh, big bit of change uh, at the stadium. Beat writer, but a blue collar guy at heart out That's here. <laughs> giving props to the construction workers. I love it. Uh, but let's dive in. Uh, we got a lot to get to, as I mentioned, I don't I'm not going to go game by game or anything. We're just going to talk about big themes from what we've seen out of the volunteers in their first five games of the 2024 season. But I am going to start with their opener on Friday because I feel like that's one of the biggest storylines is Tennessee's arms on Friday night and what they were able to do against Texas Tech. It was a little bit of a surprise to us that Drew Beam did not start on Friday night. A.J. Russell got the ball on opening night, and he had a 415 ERA on the night, but he was fantastic. I mean, in the fifth inning, things kind of unraveled a little bit. But in his first four innings – 
against Texas Tech. He had reti retired 12 of 13 batters. He had struck out 10 batters and had retired 10 straight prior to beginning the fifth inning through 53 strikes on 73 total pitches. So, yeah, even though you know he, he eventually allowed two runs off of a two-run triple that A.J. Causey actually gave up, but the runs went against Russell, he was fantastic. Better than the stat line even shows. Yeah, way better than the stat line shows, um, or at least the, the runs and earns ERA show and you know what I can't remember exactly how I phrased it but when we were talking about a preview pod I think I said you know AJ Russell I talked about his significance if he could be a really good weekend starter and how much that would just ease the concerns of figuring out the rest of the pitching unknown um and man he was dominant he was just absolutely fantastic to looks like Chase Dolander out there like peak Chase Dolander yeah I mean just the movement on the upper 90s fastball was just ridiculous to run on it I mean that's going to give guys fits and you know I think they're still you know we talked about in the preseason developing a, a four pitch mix and you know the breaking balls weren't just outstanding but he was able to throw them enough for strikes to keep batters off balance and, and that's really all he's going to need to do so just one start it'll be a long season for in a lot of tests for a guy that threw all of 30 innings or whatever it was last season but, uh, you know, I think he absolutely aced the debut and uh, through five games. That's my biggest takeaway is how good A.J. Russell was. And we did mention in our preseason preview that, uh, you know, A.J. Russell's upside was the highest of any arm yeah. on Tennessee staff. Like, yes, Drew Beam is, is the guy. He's the seasoned guy. He's coming in, you know, in some uh, first-round mock drafts. But, you know, A.J. Russell definitely has a higher upside and I, my bold prediction was that he'd lead this team by 25 in strikeouts. I mean, you feel pretty good. pump strikeout after strikeout after strikeout. So I think his first outing was encur was as encouraging as anything we saw from Tennessee so far. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we were talking about it on the phone on Thursday night. Um, you know, I guess it was Wednesday or Thursday when Tony announced that Russell would start on Friday. And we were kind of talking about that, like why we thought he was doing it and talking about what Tony told us. And, you know, kind of towards the end of it, you know, cause we were a little – maybe not confused, but we didn't expect it. And, you know, kind of towards the end, I think we said, it was like, well, the best case scenario for this would be is just like, even this season, A.J. Russell has the highest ceiling. And mm -hmm. so maybe they just truly think he'll be their best starting pitcher. And what a great sign that would be. And obviously, again, it's one start. We're a long, long way from that necessarily being the case. Um, but I think you definitely felt, you left that game feeling like, yeah, Tennessee feeling like A.J. Russell could be their best starting pitcher was at least a reason that he started on opening opening night. And we have the luxury of actually being able to assess these performances because it wasn't against a yeah. bad team. I mean, A.J. Russell went out there against a ranked Texas Tech team that is really good. Yeah. So we are actually able to dissect his performance, and it has merit to it because, you know, Tony Vitello said it after the Oklahoma game that this weekend had a regional feel to it, a super regional feel to it. Yes, it's three different teams, but you treat it like a series, and this is what – these are regional teams that they were playing. Maybe not Baylor, but definitely Texas Tech and Oklahoma. So Tennessee had some really good competition to start their season, as they did in Arizona last year. And if you talk to the players, if you talk to Tony, they would want it no other way. They want to have a true challenge to start the season. Yeah, no doubt. And obviously Tennessee hasn't played, and I'm sure we talked about this in the preview, super hard non-conference schedules usually under Vitello, you know, just with how hard SEC play is. But in uh, this Last weekend, the first weekend will be the hardest weekend, but as we mentioned, Kansas State midweek, uh, who, you know, Kansas State will, and I think. It's it, kind of like the Boston College midweek last year, right? A yes. Power five opponent who's going to be solid. We'll yeah, and I think Boston College ended up being better than we all thought, and Kansas State, I think, was picked higher than Oklahoma or Baylor in the Big 12 preseason poll. And then Illinois, too, who's a, you know, middle-of-the-pack uh, Big, Big Ten, Ten team. Big, yeah. yeah, so it's not 
It's big game baseball. They're not great. Tennessee, I would expect to sweep that series, but that's also a lot harder than in Iona or Rhode Island or you know a lot of the teams Tennessee oftentimes plays. They're, they're going to play this weekend. You Albany. You Albany. <laughs> yes. Or yeah. We'll get into that in a minute. But who relieved A.J. Russell was A.J. Causey making his first career appearance as a Tennessee volunteer. And A.J. Russell was great, and A.J. Causey was great. It was the A.J. show on Friday night. Um, after that two-run triple that I previously mentioned that Causey allowed, the runs didn't go against him. But after that hit, he was he just shut down Texas Tech completely. His final line was 4.2 innings pitched. Um, gave up no runs, seven strikeouts, 41 strikes on 56 pitches, and he got the win uh, in the end with, you know, having gotten one more out than A.J. Russell. So your thoughts on Cosby's performance, and he was Tennessee's best bullpen guy on opening weekend. Yeah, no doubt. And, I mean, it was, you know, you, you watch him pitch and, you know, in the preseason and in the fall a little bit, though, he, you know, he missed a little bit of time. It's just that he looked really good. He was really effective. Now, it's not overpowering stuff by any means. It's a submarine pitcher. You know, but he, and he didn't have great numbers as a weekend starter at Jacksonville State last year. So, you know, you're kind of wanting to see it in a game against good competition. And he was fantastic. I mean, it's – I think the question – even going into the season, it felt like he was going to be one of Tennessee's more reliable arms. He furthered that belief in his first appearance. And I think, you know, and I'm, we'll get into it more in a bit, but it's kind of like how does how can Tennessee most effectively use him? Where does he – where does he fit in in the, the puzzle of Tennessee's pitching staff? But, you know, he was great. The fact that he had seven strikeouts, I think, kind of surprised me. Um, you know, I don't know if he'll do that every time out, but certainly a, a great, great day, Tennessee debut for Causey. Yeah, he had four, I believe, in the final two innings to kind of up his numbers there. But intriguing stat, after that triple, he actually faced the minimum for the final 4.1 innings. Yeah. So he was just cruising right along. Um, and I think Causey is one of the big topics we're going to get into today because it kind of ties in with the Sunday pitching. Now let's fast forward a little bit to the Baylor game. Xander Seacrest was not great at all in his first uh, start of the season. Of course, it's his first weekend start of his career. He gave up three runs in the first two innings before Nate Snead relieved him to begin the third. So, And Tony Vitello said to us last night that he's – undecided on who's going to be the Sunday starter this weekend, so that obviously means it's up in the air moving forward. Do you think that Causey, from what he showed you, should be in consideration for that Sunday starter, or do you think his upside from what he can give Tennessee out of the bullpen is too valuable to take him out of that role? No, I think he should definitely be considered. And I think Tony, you know, said as much after that game on Friday night, something of, you know, is this a guy that's deserving of a weekend start or something like that? And I yeah. – Fully expect we'll see him get a weekend start before SEC play starts. Or maybe if it's not a weekend start, we'll see him against Kansas State. Because I expect Tennessee will kind of use that Kansas State game like another audition for a starter type of opportunity. Uh, since it'll be good competition and maybe let him throw a little bit more. So, you know, he certainly is valuable out of the pen. But, no, I think he definitely should be considered. And, you know, to me, Nate Sneed's the guy that I go, I think he, more than anything, works better out of the pen and giving Tennessee a power arm out of the bullpen. And we did see him in a good appearance. I mean, I'm not trying to shortchange that. He was definitely good against Baylor. Still walked five guys in five innings. Some of that erraticness of Nate Sneed makes me think he plays better out of the bullpen. And I think Causey's stuff could play better out of the bullpen too. Um, but Tennessee has more arms kind of like Causey. I think Aaron Combs, in a lot of ways, is kind of similar to Causey in, in the bullpen. So, I think he is a guy that could fill out in the starter spot. And you'll probably hear me say this a lot over, at least until Tennessee locks in their third starter. To me, all Tennessee's looking for is a guy that can go out there and go two times through the lineup, 
get you four or five innings pitched and give up three runs or less. A guy that can keep you in the game. They don't need excellence. They don't need someone that's going to go out and throw seven innings and just be a dominant guy. They're looking for a guy that can be solid and keep Tennessee in games, and I think Causey's definitely that. Yeah, you mentioned Nate Sneed. Um, we can mention him real quick. He allowed five walks against Baylor, but three of them actually came in the first inning he pitched there in the third. So he, it looked really bad to start. It, it was like, okay, Seekers didn't work out. Nate Sneed's struggling with his command. You know, who is Tennessee going to turn to to get this win against Baylor today? Stamos is going to have to, you know, go multiple, multiple innings for Tennessee today. But, you know, really after that third inning, Sneed settled and was able to cruise right along up until the eighth inning when Stamos came in. And he threw 85 pitches in a relief outing. So Yeah, we, I think he threw the most pitches of any Tennessee pitcher. That is correct. And yeah. he talked to, you compared him to Seth Halverson more than anybody, given the velo and what you can do out of the pen for Tennessee. And Halverson was a guy that was that fourth starter who could throw a long time. Yes. And, and Snead showed that he can do that. So I think that comparison really came to, you know, it really backed up what you were saying here with his performance against Baylor. Yeah, it's the fact that he can do a lot of different things. He can be a guy that – Comes out of the bullpen and pitches the ninth inning on a Friday. If you get a really good start from an A.J. Russell, you know, seven-inning start, and he's the guy – and you didn't turn around and pitch maybe two innings or something on a Sunday. Or he's a guy that if one of your starting pitchers gets rocked, kind of like, you know, Seacrest didn't quite get rocked, but, you know, didn't make it super deep in the game. He's a guy that can come in and pitch four or five innings in the middle of the game, which I think that versatility um, and that high-end upside just because of – He's much more of a power arm than anybody else Tennessee has in their bullpen. I mean, I guess Marcus Phillips would kind of be one too, but he's more trusted at this point than Marcus Phillips is. Uh, it just there's, it gives Tennessee a lot of different options with him, and I think that's what makes him so valuable out of the bullpen. Whereas Tennessee has two guys that are somewhat, you know, I wouldn't consider Drew Beam a power arm, but he throws mid nineties, and AJ Russell's probably is at least borderline a power arm. Yeah, throws he's upper, up to ninety seven. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, up to ninety seven. You know, Tennessee already has that look in its starting lineup, and you, a lot of times you kind of like to stagger what opponents are going to see in these weekend starts. You know, I think Snead kind of too much fits that mold of what Tennessee has. Not that he is incapable of being a good weekend starter. I just like what he gives them more out of the bullpen and kind of the versatility and, and the different options. Flexibility, I guess, that gives Frank Anderson and Tony Vitello. Yeah, and it kind of – I've always thought that – I know he's a lefty and it's different and he has lower velo, but it always felt like Seacrest was kind of similar to Beam in that he's a pitch-to-contact guy and he yeah. just gets outs, right? So you kind of had a you know, a lesser version of Beam on Sunday and Seacrest and then Beam on Saturday, whereas Kazi is different, right? He, yeah. he paints, he, he's got the submarine, he's a much different look. And also, A.J. Russell talked about that on Friday, just how challenging it is for opposing batters going from Russell to Kazi. So as lethal as that Friday night duo could be, you know, maybe it is more valuable for Tennessee in the long run. I mean, we're talking about a starting role here on a Sunday to potentially get a series win or to get a series sweep. Those are really valuable in SEC play more than a couple innings on a Friday night, right? So yeah. maybe A.J. Kazi even though you could have the luxury of that Friday night duo, should be the guy on Sundays based off what we've seen so far. Yeah, and I think you know part of the reason that even though Seacrest and Beam are similar in their pitching styles, I think that's one of the reasons they like the idea of Seacrest is that he's a lefty, and that is a different look from what people are going to see the first two games against Tennessee. And while uh, Kazi is right-handed, it is, again, a different look than yeah. either of those two guys. So uh, I think that's an option. Um, you know, another guy I would say, and I don't think we're going to see this anytime soon, but Continue to be really intrigued by Matthew Dallas. Yep. Uh, he looked fantastic last night. You know, I don't think he's going to be a weekend starter by SEC play, 
just from the fact that you know he's still building that arm up, and I don't know if he's going to get enough innings for them to really have complete trust in him by them by then, as he you know missed six seven months in the offseason with some shoulder soreness. Uh, but he's really talented, and much like AJ Russell, man, it feels like he's throwing it to you from fifty feet with how tall he is and how long Dude, those arms are. He's um, so tall. Yeah, he, he comes to post game media, and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so if Tennessee isn't locking down a weekend, you know, they don't have someone that's just locked down that job, or even they want to go with what's their higher ceiling in the postseason. Matthew Dallas thinks going to be a guy that gives Tennessee something to think about uh, by the end of the year as a potential starting option. Did not allow a hit, struck out three, walked one in three innings pitched against ETSU on Wednesday night in Tennessee's 16-0 victory through 32 strikes on 49 pitches. That was actually his second appearance of the season as he only faced one batter there in extras against Oklahoma. He got, uh, I believe, the hitter hit into a fielder's choice as they got the out-at-home plate. But that was a big moment. It was runners on second and third with one out. Yeah. And, and Oklahoma had already taken the lead. It was two to one. But that, it was a big time moment for Matthew Dallas in his first ever appearance in you know college, in college. So, but he only faced one batter, so it was a little to go off of. But last night we really saw what Matthew Dallas can do. And Tony talked about it last night after ETSU game, uh, specifically about in Arlington of like the lights not being too bright for him. And this was a really really big recruit who's pitched in a lot of big showcases, and obviously that's different than a regional game or some mm-hmm. big-time game at the end of the year, but this is a freshman that has been in the limelight a lot and has yes. had a lot of attention and has had pitched in some big moments already in his baseball career. So uh, really talented guy, guy that I think is going to be a have a role, a serious role in this Tennessee pitching staff, and I think when you start looking further down the road, um, the possibilities at least there for him to be a guy that could potentially be that third midweek starter. And we talk about a different look on Sundays. Matthew Dallas is a lefty, so yeah. he checks that box. I also want to bring up that Tony Vitello talked about how young guys struggle with the mental approach. So much of baseball is mental. And early in their careers that young guys can struggle with that. He talked about how Matthew Dallas and he lumped Austin Hundley in there with him, who was excellent on Tuesday night in Tennessee's narrow victory over, over UNC Asheville, that those guys are almost cheating in a way because they already have it figured out. So Matthew Dallas seems to already have that figured out. That would be uh, huge in his case to potentially start Sundays down the road if you know Tennessee wants to keep causing the pin, what have you, Seacrest continues to struggle, anything like that. So Dallas is certainly in the mix there. But, Ryan, before we get into some of the more bullpen guys and, of course, the offense, which we have to talk about at length, I do want to get your thoughts on Xander Seacrest's performance. You watched the Baylor game. You know, it was shaky. The stats kind of tell you the story. But just your thoughts on how he handled those two innings there in Arlington. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it was not a great outing by any means. I think the positive would be it could have been worse. From There was a lot of hard contact and such, and the yeah. first inning particularly uh, did not go well. So it was not a shining endorsement for you know Xander. I don't think he, even if he was great, he could have locked down uh, you know that starting job just with that start anyway, even if he just was fantastic. Um, but further the thought that Tennessee's going to look at a lot of different guys there, um, and certainly it was – not the, the outing that he was looking for, but not an awful one either. As things kind of could have gotten away from Tennessee, especially in the first inning when Tennessee didn't score in the top half. And it felt like Baylor could have potentially hung, you know, three, four, put a crooked number up there. Um, and he did a good job of at least settling and not letting a balloon on him. I do feel like we probably see one or maybe two, depends, uh, more secret starts on Sunday just because 
if he had won that job in the preseason, it's kind of hard to just pull the plug after two innings you see out of the guy. And Arlington, do you think we'll see another secret start, or do you, do you think there's just going to be continuous rotation for Tony to try and find his guy by SEC play? I think we could see another secret start. I'd say 60-40 we won't see another secret start okay. right now. And I think the thing I would, I don't know if push back on or you know say where I don't necessarily think I don't necessarily think Xander won that job in the preseason. Right, he was just who? He was the guy they went with. There was a bunch of different guys that had options, and they felt best about him. And we've seen this, you know, oftentimes where Tony likes to give starts in the opening weekend and early in season to dudes that have been in the program and go about it the right way and are hard workers and good teammates. And I think the fact that Xander was in the conversation, he was a different look. He had starting experience. Even though it wasn't weekend, he had starting experience. Um, and he was that. He's a hard worker. He's been in the program. He does things the right way. I think all great that, locker room guy. Great locker room guy. I think all that led to Xander getting the start. It wasn't necessarily the fact that he had won the job. Because I don't think the job's going to be won until the very earliest when they start SEC play. And even then, it might not be won until sometime in SEC play. Gotcha. All right, let's talk about Drew Beam for a second before we move on to some of the freshmen I want to talk about. Combs a little bit. But, you know, Beam is who he is. We, we know Drew Beam is really solid, really composed. He's QB1 for a reason. He was a little shaky on Saturday, and the defense kind of saved him. I do think his numbers would have been significantly worse had there not been some diving catches that Cal Stark not played tremendously behind the plate there on Saturday against Oklahoma. I truly believe that Tennessee's defense kept them in the game because, like I said, Beam was there was hard contact against Beam. Tennessee's offense was doing very little against Oklahoma's arms. So Beam a little shaky. But also that defense on Saturday, really impressive by Tennessee, and that's kind of something different because usually yeah. early in the season Tennessee's defense struggling a little bit. No, hundred percent, and you know obviously that's the game I didn't watch a ton of, um, but yeah, I mean the defense I think was one of the big stories of the weekend as a whole, and probably just the season at this point. The defense has been really good, and certainly they've had struggles early in the season, but. Even there just hasn't been a ton of like, – Tennessee's not typically winning a lot of games because of their defense uh, mm-hmm. under Tony Vitello. So I thought that was a really encouraging sign. Um, I thought Peebles was good behind the plate. Obviously, again, I didn't watch, but you and a couple of the plays I saw on Twitter, Cal Stark seemed like he was fantastic uh, defensively. Uh, it, it may be the best game he'd ever played defensively as a yeah. in Tennessee. Yeah, so uh, definitely a good sign. And Tennessee seems more polished there. And you haven't – I think Christian Moore did have an error against UNC Asheville – but you haven't seen a bunch of issues in Tennessee's middle infield defensively. Um, guys have made some plays in the outfield. Reese Chapman yesterday had catch of the year candidate oh, yeah. against ETSU. So I think that's one of the things to like uh, in kind of pairing it too with the base running. So we've seen Tennessee constantly make base running mistakes uh, a handful of years. I cannot think of any off the top of my head that they've made at this point in the season. No, I think they've gotten caught stealing just once, and it wasn't anything egregious like you've seen from Tennessee in the past. But – I know a lot of people will mention Dylan Dryling, the the play in the 10th inning that gave Oklahoma the lead, uh, that RBI hit that Combs gave up. Looked like Dryling probably could have made the catch, just took a bad angle, and I, I believe it tipped the, the end of his glove. So it's probably a play Dylan Dryling should make, but I'll also refute that with, I believe, fourth or fifth inning, mid part of the game, Dylan Dryling made a diving catch to save a two-run double. So Oklahoma's probably yeah. like 3-1 and maybe wins the game in regulation if that doesn't happen. So Dylan Dryling made a diving catch in that game. Hunter Inslee was great at center all weekend. We mentioned Cal Stark. So, yeah, this Tennessee defense, I think, is a strong suit of this team. And that can really be huge if the pitching is going to be 
not as good as it's been in the past two years. Yeah, not as good as it's been the past two years, and it's not going to be overpowering in the same way. Like Tennessee's just struck out so many guys the last two right. years. Right, and it really feels like they only have one guy who can get double-digit strikeouts more times than not, and that's A.J. Yeah. Russell. And Snead's a guy in a bullpen that can go in and strike out a lot of guys, but again, you don't think he's going to be, or we don't think he's going to be uh, a weekend starter guy. Or He might be a guy who gets an opportunity, but we've already laid out all the reasons we think he works best out of the bullpen. So you're right, you're going to be having more pitch-to-contact guys in there, and you're going to need your defense locked in and playing well. Before we talk about the offense, any other bullpen names that stuck out to you? I mentioned Aaron Combs. He had a great two innings there at the end of Oklahoma to keep it tied, but then you know just kind of was spent a little bit there in the 10th. Derek Schaefer, he gave up an RBI single walk and a two-run single in the 10th inning against Oklahoma. That's when the Sooners were just able to really pile it on. Schaefer, not a great debut, but then started the Tuesday game against UNC Asheville and was really, really solid there. And then Chris Stamos had a good final two innings against Baylor. Only faced one batter against Oklahoma, but it was the first triple play Tennessee has executed in 27 years, I believe. So that was a And he made batter. a triple play happen. Yeah. No, yeah. he, Great diving he dived uh, on the bunt. You know, it was a bunt. He dove and caught it, then fired it to second, and Simo did the rest. So, And then Marcus Phillips also had a couple appearances. So any bullpen arms that kind of stuck out to you? Uh, Stamos was the one I was going to bring up. Just to, He's a guy that has been really good when I'd watched him in the preseason in the fall and was really solid again. I think he's going to be a guy that isn't necessarily one that's going to go three, four innings a lot, but I think it's going to be a reliable for Tennessee uh, in weekends. The other thing I would say is we haven't seen Kirby Cannell yet this season. Uh, you right. know, that'll be interesting to see when he makes his debut, and then this is more of a – lighthearted feel-good type thing, but it was cool seeing Austin Hunley make his Tennessee debut, and the way he did it, it was a very Sean Hunley, Tennessee Bullman I mean, he appearance. he won them the game. Yeah, he pitched yeah. the final three innings. Uh, the first inning, the game was tied. Tennessee had a one-run lead in the eighth and ninth inning, um, and he locked it down. I mean, how many times did we see Sean Hunley do that in his Tennessee career in really high-leverage spots uh, when he was great for two or three week innings of relief uh, to end the game? So that was cool to see. Uh, him get his first appearance. Sean Hunley was at that game, too, uh, on Tuesday night. So, good uh, first career appearance for Hunley. You think Austin Hunley maybe earned himself a weekend appearance or two? Yeah, I think he's probably earned himself an opportunity, especially in the uh, – I don't know. It's you Albany and who else did they play besides Illinois in the weekend? I'm blanking. Bowling Green Bowling the Green. following after Albany. Yeah, so I think, you know, one of those, I think he probably will, you know, maybe get an opportunity. Also thought it was intriguing that Marcus Phillips was the first out of the pin on Saturday. I was, yeah. After Beam. Um, Again, I think a little bit of a – I mean, obviously they're both tall right-handers, but Marcus Phillips just having that heat to kind of yeah. come in and, and overpower guys. Uh, he's not, to me, not as much as a pitch-to-contact guy at all. Right. So maybe that was part of it. But, again, obviously I wasn't watching the flow of the game or anything like that. But at least we know he's in the mix as yeah, far as weekend definitely. open arms go. All right, let's shift gears. We're about halfway through here. Let's talk about the offense a little bit. Tennessee had a solid night at the plate Friday night against Texas Tech, an abysmal night against Oklahoma. Those arms they had fits against, and then Baylor, they really opened it up. You know, they, you could tell they were hungry to uh, have a big day at the plate, and they did so Sunday against Baylor, totaling 11 runs, eight in the first four innings. And then you can just kind of copy-paste Saturday-Sunday to Tuesday-Wednesday. Yeah, you Tennessee can. only scores three runs against UNC Asheville, struggles at the plate, you know, probably – it was a little bit of a weird travel schedule for Tennessee. And, you know, after their weekend in Arlington as they played late on Sunday night, Tony Vitello said it was a little bit of a casual approach on Tuesday night. Well, it wasn't on Wednesday nights as they <laughs> – Nope. And in, uh, in what you see out of past Tennessee teams on midweeks 
they opened it up. They scored 16 runs. And, uh, it, and six it, innings. It was one of those. Yeah, they scored 11 runs in the third. I mean, it was just one of those nights where, you know, everybody's getting in. Everybody's getting in on the fun, right? So, um, But when we talk about the guys that stood out the most, Billy Amick is as advertised. He's hit three home runs so far this season. And honestly, he probably should have more extra base hits than he has because he's gotten a little unlucky on, uh, on some things. But you can tell the pop he has just – the speed the ball comes off the bat, the exit velocity is insane. This guy is a tank. He is. Yeah, he's a real deal. And I think uh, there's probably three phases of takeaways I've had from the offense so far. And the first is that Billy Amick and Christian Moore, Tennessee's two best hitters. Yep. That's what we felt like going into the season. And those two guys have hit the ground running, have been really, really good. Um, all SEC, all American-level bats, dudes that are going to be leading the charge for this Tennessee offense this season. And you're right, Billy Amick – Hit the ball better than the numbers even looked like. Uh, he had some really hard hit outs. Um, but yeah. we've seen the power. Already has three home runs through five games. And Christian Moore, who I I guess he had his first home run yesterday against ETSU, didn't have one in the opening weekend. But a bunch of extra base hits, a bunch of hitting the ball hard, a bunch of getting on base. I believe he had the highest average of anybody on the team at 462 uh, with three more walks on top of hitting 462 that opening weekend. He was fantastic. Yeah, and he's at 474 now on the season. And uh, more Amick, Tears, and Peebles. Those four would all each have one more home run than they have right now if they were playing in the Lindsey Nelson Stadium last week. And all four of them had, uh, you know, fly out to the warning track there in Globe Life Field, which is obviously an MLB ballpark. So just something. A big actually, MLB ballpark, too. Yeah, that. just something to note. that. But, yeah, Simo is so consistent. He, I think he's going to be Tennessee's most consistent hitter. With that being said, I know Tony's liked that, you know, that right-handed presence in the middle of the lineup, the three through five range, but we saw Simo lead off for the first time on Wednesday night against ETSU with how consistent he is. Do you think that maybe he should be the leadoff guy for Tennessee? Yeah, I kind of liked the, a lot of the look at that lineup on Wednesday that Tennessee had, and again, there's not an obvious leadoff guy. We've talked about that, and I think Simo's Consistency and his development as a hitter of being able to walk, see more pitches, hit even better for contact. That you know that was never a weakness necessarily. And he's probably the best base runner on the team. Yeah, he probably is, or at least has the most speed. So, yeah, it's one that stands out. Um, you know, I I really like him in the two hole, um, but at the same time, I don't think Tennessee has a really a lefty that would hit leadoff. So again, how much of it goes into Tony wanting to stagger lefty righty? Um, right, which he's done uh, every game so far. Yes. Like by by the by every single one has alternated every single game so far. Yeah, and even you know I, I'm not necessarily a believer of like thinking they have to do that complete staggering that, but I'll also say like in to the flip side like you kind of start trying to make out what you think Tennessee's best lineup is and like what it could look like. If you do that, you very easily get like a lot of lefties together in like the six through eight range. So exactly. it kind of naturally falls on the complete opposite side. So. Uh, it makes sense why they do it, and the alternative is so far on the opposite side, it's kind of hard to find a balance, I think. And that's why you've seen Burke up higher in the order, even though he's struggled a little bit at the plate to start. I mean, he's been fine, but, you know, he hasn't been great. But he's going to stay in the top of that order, I think, because he is a lefty. Yeah, him or Dryling, one of those yeah. guys is. Um, that's the thing is, I, not that I like necessarily hate Burke hitting in the top of the lineup, I just don't, I don't really like the two-hole for him a ton. Right. Um, I like Dryling more in that spot, but at the same time, I you know Dryling's had some issues against lefties. It seems like they've gone Burke pretty consistently when lefties are pitching in the two hole. So 
Uh, gotcha. You know, we'll see what that looks like. Yeah, Drowling was eighth yesterday against a left-handed starter. Yes. So that's a microcosm of what you're saying, an example, if you will. Um, Kavaris Tears, another guy with a ton of power up there with Amick as the most on the team. He had a big home run there against Baylor that ignited the scoring. It was a three-run bomb. He had another home run, I uh, believe, was it Wednesday or Tuesday? Tuesday. It was Tuesday. It, and that was, proved to be big. That, yeah, that was a big home run in the runs. game as they only, they only won by one run. So he's had a couple of big jacks, and Kavaris Tears has looked really good at the plate. Maybe struggled a little bit on Friday night and then didn't play on Saturday. But ever since, he's looked really good and – Probably going to be one of Tennessee's top bats this year. Yeah, no, I, that was kind of my second point. Is I think you look at Dryling and you look at Tiris, those are two guys that feel like are the guys that have been in Tennessee's program, have had roles, but are now probably stepping into full-time starter roles. Definitely with Dryling and, and Tiris, you know, again, I think he'll be a starter just about every day, and I've been impressed with what I've seen from both of those guys so far. I think both of them have been good. Uh, both of them have looked apart. Both of them have lived up to the expectations and looked like guys that have taken a step forward and can be really productive bats for Tennessee. Moving forward, um, so let's talk about, you know, just some of these other guys. As far as the DH spot goes, Robin Villeneuve has actually gotten the most starts. There. Yeah. Maybe that's been a little bit of a surprise as we thought Dalton Bargo would be kind of the leader in that category and get the most starts, but Villeneuve actually has three DH starts, and he's hitting 500 on the season, six ABs, but like I said, he's hitting 500, and he's looked yeah. really good. Uh, nine so nine plate appearances, and he's reached base six times, so three yeah. walks, three hits. Like He's been great. Uh, it, it makes it more interesting, too, because it kind of felt like he was an outside candidate, a guy that would probably get some opportunities. Um, and the fact that he's a right-handed bat, your other kind of options at DH are all left-handed bats, and it, it gives... Yep. Maybe we start seeing a righty-lefty type of thing of guys who earn starts there in SEC play. Obviously, that's what Tennessee did in 22 with, with Moore Burke and Burke. Yeah. Uh, so it gives Tennessee some more flexibility. And, yeah, he's been been really impressive. Maybe not the biggest surprise, but the person that's maybe stood out and has been as impressive as anyone as compared to what we thought his role might be. Peebles in a bit of a early season slump. He's only hitting 118, but we know he was Tennessee's probably best hitter in the preseason. So that's nothing to worry about or anything like that. Any other – Thing you want to talk about as far as what you know at the plate, maybe someone that's struggling, anything that's surprised you? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a surprise. It's just because you're five games in the season and you're not hitting the panic button on anybody, not uh, starting great. But I, you know, I think I did two guys that I said that I felt like really swung the potential for Tennessee's lineup of just like it being really good or just unbelievable would be Blake Burke and Hunter Ensley because those are two guys you felt like are really good chances starting. Both of them have kind of been off to slow starts to the season. Again, neither of them has been just awful by any means, and it's still really early. So, you know, you're not hitting the panic button on that by any means. But uh, those were, along with Peebles, those were kind of, I'd say, the two guys that struggled on the opening weekend at the plate. Any uh, takeaways as far as how Tennessee has handled the catcher position with Peebles starting Friday, Sunday, Stark on Saturday? I think you kind of expected that. Chuck Taylor gets a one midweek start, Peebles the other. Any notes there? Yeah, I mean, I thought they would maybe start Cal on the second midweek game, um, but not a massive surprise. I mean, especially since Peebles has been struggling trying to get him, you know, some more at-bats, um, and obviously he was the DH on that in that Saturday game. Right, I don't, and he's always going to be the DH, we feel like, Yeah, if he's not a catcher. Most, you know, for the most part, unless he's in a slump or something like that. So uh, I think it makes sense how they've played it. And I think, I guess the question would be is, you know, when – at what point, if ever, does people start being the full-time catcher? I mean, I think early in the season, this is obviously going to be the case because it's such a taxing position and you have such depth. Like, you're not going to put 
more on Peebles than you have to. You're not going to make you have him start all three games. Do they continue in SEC play, uh, giving Cal Stark a Saturday start? Um, and if he does, you know, does he play well enough to going into the postseason? You want to continue to use him that way. So, oh, that will be interesting to watch in the long term. But how they've handled the catcher spot to this point in the season is how I've expected it. I know Cal Stark is much weaker at the plate, but what he gave Tennessee defensively on Saturday cannot be underestimated. And no. this is a guy once upon a time last year, he started off the season doing really well at the plate. And Jared Dickey was comparing him to Drew Gilbert as far as the energy he brings yeah. to the team. And we know how Tennessee baseball works and, and you know, just – how they are, that's big for that for that uh, that brand of baseball they play, that energy. So if Cal starts bringing that, I think we'll probably see you know at least one start a weekend for him, at least in the short term. Yeah, definitely in the short term. And I, Tony Vitello said that either, either on vol calls or in the nation, so it wasn't a meeting with us, but he was like, you know, if we had to go out recruiting, we'd feel good about Cal Stark and Charlie Taylor running to practice. So like this, the the leadership, the connection with the pitchers. Cal Stark's really good defensively, and obviously a catcher defense is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a real asset there. So he was great defensively to end the season for him last year and found a way to get on base enough in the postseason run, you know, usually via walks or hit by pitches. Um, so it's a great resource to have at the very least, just that that's your second catcher. I mean, it's fantastic second catcher from just the defensive aspect that he brings. Someone we haven't talked about yet but was the star of the show, or at least one of them, along with Matthew Dallas on Wednesday night against CTSU, was Dean Curley. Got his first career action and his first career start, and he started at shortstop for Tennessee against the Buccaneers. And Curley was solid defensively, and you know he didn't make any mistakes, but he was more impressive at the plate, obviously. Going two for three with a home run and a triple, three RBIs total. Dean Curley made the most of his debut, and looks like he probably earned himself – uh, a role on the team uh, for the weekends. Definitely. And I think maybe the thing that stood out the most about it is that he started at shortstop. And when, yeah. uh, and we had kind of talked about how those youngsters may start at second because shortstop's more difficult to play. Simo's yes. been good there, but Curly's obviously good enough to uh, hold down the duty there. Hold yeah, and then Bracky Lowry's four starts, I believe it's four starts, or at least the three starts over the weekend, it was all yeah, at second base. Fair. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he didn't have a hit, but he did walk four times. So, you know, he got on base in four or ten of plate appearances. So, by no means was he bad. I think he had a sacrifice fly. So, maybe it's four right. of 11. He had a sack fly uh, in one of those two. But certainly, I mean, Curly, you know, he hits the ground running in the debut and gives Tennessee something to think about. He was still dealing with a hamstring injury. So, he was on the trip to Dallas but didn't play. Right. Um, so, again, it's going to be intriguing. And Ariel Antigua is going to come back at some point, too, before too, too long. It's – Kind of like it feels like that third starter spot. It kind of feels like who starts in the middle infield besides Christian Moore. That battle might go on a while, and it just doesn't feel like there's a clear-cut favorite. Yeah, that'll be something close uh, to watch closely over the next couple weekends because if Curley's going to rake like this, you can't take him out of the lineup. Yeah. And if he's solid enough defensively, then why not? I mean, he's he's done enough to earn Tony's trust to get a start at shortstop, and we know that from last night. So um, any other notes here about infield, outfield, anything else you want to hit on before we close up here, Ryan? I don't think so. I think we've hit on everything that I have. Well, let's look forward to this weekend. Tennessee plays Albany in their first weekend series in Lindsey Nelson Stadium. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The times are 4.30 p.m. Eastern start time on Friday. I like that a little earlier. I like it too. Day. 2 p.m. Eastern on Saturday and then 1 p.m. Eastern on Sunday against the Albany Great Danes. Danes. We are obviously expecting a sweep. Albany. this is actually their first uh, – Games of the season. They haven't played yes. yet. So. Um, and you're talking about a team in the Northeast. Right. So, 
can't imagine they've gotten a ton of practice time out, outside at this point in the season. A lot of time in the cages, a lot of time taking ground balls on the basketball court. Who do you think starts Sunday? Um, I'll say Causey starts. Causey or Seacrest, I think it'll be one of those two. But I'll say Causey. I'll say Tennessee mixes it up and gives somebody else an opportunity. How many home runs are hit by Tennessee this weekend? Let's put the over-under at six and a half. Oh, I'd definitely take the over. Okay, so it was a bad over-under? Ten was the number that came to mind that they're going to hit over three games. Though, again, my understanding is the run rule is in place, so it might only be – that's what I've been told. So it might only be 18 innings for Tennessee to hit with, so maybe six is smarter. Uh, So I don't know, but I I think they'll hit a number of them. All right, well, there you have it. I guess that will do it for this – February 22nd edition of the Rocky Top Insider Baseball Press Pass Podcast. We appreciate you guys listening. If you want to hit us up on social media, he's at rshump00. That's R-S-C-H-U-M-P. I'm at Jack Foster Media. And, of course, keep it dialed in over at Rocky Top Insider on all our social media platforms and over at rockytopinsider.com for all baseball coverage and basketball coverage as this is when seasons merge and everything gets a lot of fun. Yes. Right, Ryan? As basketball season is we're about to enter March, so this is when it gets real and there's a there's a big game over in uh, Thompson Bowling Arena on Saturday night against Texas A&M. Yes, there is. Tennessee looking to get a little bit of revenge. Those two teams have kind of gone in opposite directions since the last time they've played. A&M hasn't won a game and yeah. those <laughs> games have come against... Vanderbilt, Arkansas, somebody else that's not great. Can't remember who it is, who they played on Saturday. Uh, um, I can't remember. Yeah, so they'll be desperate for a win, and Tennessee will be desperate for a win to stay in SEC championship race and looking for a little bit of revenge as well. Well, as I said, that'll wrap it up for today, guys. We'll see you guys after the Albany series. We'll be podcasting, breaking down everything that happened over in LNS over the weekend. So until next time, that's Ryan. I'm Jack. Peace.